week's parsha is parsha Sayishlach. And it's interesting, the Golas that we live in, which is, we call Golas Edom, and more specifically the Golas of America, which is a Golas of Chesed. It's a Golas that probably the Jews throughout this entire 2,000 years have never had it so good. It's a tremendous Golas, as we know. It's uh, We have freedom of religion. We have freedom of, uh, of expression. And, and we could do whatever we want. And we're very, very you know, closely related to the Goyim around us. And that's obviously a problem, as uh, is reflected by the terrible assimilation, the Hatsileni nam miyad achim miyad esav. Sometimes um, esav comes in the form of of a terrible person, like we've experienced in recent uh, Jewish history, Rachmanu Lutzlan during the Chorban in Europe. And sometimes he's achiv. Sometimes he's our brother, and he's very sweet to us. And his embrace is sometimes much more deadly than his than his bite. But when we look at the Goyim around us, we, I think, sometimes tend to believe that the Goyim are the ones that have a great Eilam Hazer, and the Jews are the ones, we're going to get Eilam Haba. But in terms of our Eilam Hazer, our Eilam Hazer has to be somewhat compromised in the pursuit of Torah and the pursuit of mitzvahs and the Archakas that we have to have as a result of the Shulchan Aruch. And sometimes... I think we feel a little deprived in the arena of Elam Hazar. Sometimes, you know, the mind wanders and the mind uh, dreams of what, what it would be like, you know, if, uh, you know, were we not to be Jewish, were we not to be from, and how we would be able to do what we want, when we want, and without any gavol, without any tchumim, and it seems on the surface to be that Esau has a greater life than Yaakov. That Esau is the one that gets Eilam Hazah, and Yaakov gets Eilam Haba, but this Eilam Hazah has to be, has to be compromised and has to be surrendered to a certain degree. But the truth of the matter is that it's not the case. The truth of the matter is that a Yid, not only does he have Eilam Haba, but a Yid, if he's living with the right perspective, also has a much better Eilam Haza than a guy. And we see that from this week's parasha. The parasha starts off with this encounter between Yaakov and Esav. And in this encounter, Yaakov is seen by Esav, the camp of Yaakov, is observed by Esav, and Esav asks a question. The Pasuk says, Esav picks up his eyes when he first sees the camp of Yaakov and he says, he sees the women, he sees the children, who are these people to you? To which Yaakov responds, these are the children that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has favored me with. Agav, my great-great-grandfather, the Ritzberg asks a very basic question on this Pasuk. It's a question that anyone that reads the Pasuk should be like, 
you know, salivating at. Like, what, what's going on in this pasuk? Esav lifts his eyes. He sees that Yaakov has wives. He has children. He asks, who are these people? So if I was Yaakov, I'd say, well, this is my wife, Leah. This is my wife, Rachel. These are the Shvachas, and these are my children. But instead, he just says, Hayyuladim. These are the children that Kedush has favored me with. What happened to the wives? He just completely ignored, you know, the wife part of the question. I mean, it's a question which is obviously, you know, Tzarechian. So, my great-grandfather gives a very good pshat, but it's a, it's a, it's a, a politically incorrect pshat. In this day and age, at the time when he said it, and, and he was really quoting a Meiri in Masechus Avos, it made a lot of sense. Today, it might strike people as being funny, but the Meiri says in Avos, when describing the Midas of Neishes Chayil, which is the end of Sefer Mishlei, I think it's actually the Meiri's um, Pirush on, on Sefer Mishlei, perhaps. So when he describes the Milos of Neishes Chayil, one of the Milos is it's a woman who is Aizeves, she sort of um, revokes her father's home and she moves away from it. She distances herself, she abandons the ways of her father in order to adopt the ways of her husband. And she's adopting the ways of her husband to the degree that she is considered to be like a child to her husband. Meaning, she so much takes on the persona of her husband and the, the, the hashkafas of her husband and the minhagim of her husband and the entire approach of her husband to life that you might mistake her as being a daughter to the husband. That's the degree that Nashus Chayel would be if she would really want to please her husband and be a perfect wife. This is the way she would be. She would be a, a girl who is completely whatever her father, what, not to say that she should, you know, completely not have any relationship with her father, but in terms of her her new life, her new life is one which looks to her husband as being as her father. He is the guide. He is the one that provides guidance in life. He's the one that 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 you know that gives the minhagim, that gives the ruach to the home. That's how uh, an Ashes Chayah would look. So the Witzburgerov says that that's the pshat in the pasuk. Yaakov Avinu was asked, "Who are your wives and who are your children?" And he says, "Hayyuladin." My wives are also my Yeladim because they're true Eshes Chayos and as an Eshes Chayos they are as well considered to be my Yeladim. These are the children that I have. But Meir Me'apto who is a Talmud of the Chayzer of Ublin, one of the great Hasidic masters he says a tremendous Yisaid in explaining this question that Esav has to Yaakov, who are these people? I mean, if you see a, let's say you see somebody on mainstream, he's, you know, an old friend or, of, of, of the family, and you see him and he's with a wife and he's with some children, you don't say, well, who are these people? You assume that the woman that's with him is his wife and the kids are his kids. What's Esav's, like, big question here? Me, who are these to you? Well, these are my wives, these are my children. Obviously. Zakhtar Meyameapta, that Esav could not fathom that Yaakov, who was the one that was supposed to be, he is now the Bukhar, and he was the, the, the religious person, he was the holy, you know, Yaakov Avina, the whole world knew what a tzaddik Yaakov Avina was, 
in Esav's mind, it wasn't possible for a, a person on such a high level, such a righteous, saintly individual, to be married. Isn't marriage something that, you know, that is, that is somewhat like, you know, very mundane? And it's very, it, it, you know, you're, you're, when you're married, you're involving yourself in certain, you know, physical pleasures, having children, all these things. These are things that uh, a righteous man should not have. A righteous man should not be married with children. That's something that us mortals have. But somebody that's on a high level, a saintly individual, somebody that should be taking vows of abstinence and vows of celibacy and vows of poverty. Who are all these people? You have a wife, you have children, you have multiple wives, many children, you have a lot of possessions. I don't understand, are you a religious person? Who are these to you? And Yaakov says, these are the Eladim. These are the children, these are my family that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has granted me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given me the approval. Not only the approval, but he makes it a mitzvah. He quotes the Chinuch. The Chinuch says right at the beginning, the first mitzvah in the Torah is Piri Berivya. The mitzvah achas shebesi basam is kaimas kala mitzvah bailam. All the mitzvahs in the world are because of Perivirivya. If a Yid wouldn't be engaged in Perivirivya, we wouldn't have a world. We wouldn't have a Kal Yisrael. This is a holy endeavor. But to an Esav, an Esav looks at this and, and sees this as being somewhat sacrilege. To be able to have a wife and children and a family and a human existence, that's something that he never dreamt in a million years. He could not fathom that a Yaakov Avinu should be able to engage in such physical, mundane activity as having a wife, having a family, having possessions, having a life. To explain this a little bit, we have to quote Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, in his Sefer Emes Yaakov, in a few places, has the most amazing thesis about the difference between a Yid and a guy. This was obviously a recurring theme that Rabbi Yaakov was very fond of, of, of speaking about. This week is the Aguda Convention. Rabbi Yaakov was always like a major keynote speaker by the Aguda Convention. And many times he would, you know, develop such interesting themes. He's a brilliant thinker. He was the Pikach of the Dar. Every, all the Gedalim of the Dar knew that Rabbi Yaakov was like the Chacham of the Dar. Ramesh was the Pesach Hadar, and uh, you know, there were Manhigim of the Dar. But if you needed a good Eitzah, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was the door to go to. That was the, he was like so brilliant and so able to just see everything so clearly that everybody, Rav Hutner, who was himself, you know, on the, on the top tier of Gedalim, he, he, everyone understood that Rabbi Yaakov was the Chachm Hadar. He was the Pikeach. And, Rabbi Yaakov's biography by Art School is actually an excellent biography. Even if you don't like Gedalim biographies in general, Rabbi Yaakov is one that you know you would get a lot out of because there is, you know, you just see a lot of his pictures. You see his brilliance through the book. The best line in the book was that somebody was quoted as saying that the only um, normally people have you know are imperfect. Says Rabbi Yaakov wasn't imperfect. He says the only imperfection that Rabbi Yaakov had was that he was perfect. That was the, you know, he was so perfect in whatever he did and the way he thought was so perfect that that was his only imperfection. Human being has to have some imperfections. His imperfection was that he was perfect. 
So he says a great part, and it's such a Yisaitistic, a fundamental concept that we have to drill into our heads in order to have some menuchas anefesh when we're struggling with these, you know, demons inside that always wonder, you know, what is it like to be a guy? What is it like to be not from? What is it like to be able to have uh, a life of hefkerus? Which I think, you know, it's normal to want. Avda Bevkeir Nichole and Evan, we're all about them, Tartivus. We want a little taste of Bevkeirus. Who doesn't want a little bit of, you know, a, a, a day off once in a while? Rabbi Yaakov says like this. Rabbi Yaakov says that there's a fundamental machlaikis between the Jews and the Gayim. He brings around Ban, but basically this is the say. A guy does not understand what a Jew understands. A Jew understands that we have a guf and we have a neshama and both of them are equal partners in our life. And there is a stress between the guf and the neshama and that's what we have on a constant basis. But we believe that we have a neshama and we have to please the neshama and we have a guf and we have to treat our guf well also. Only together when we're being able to maximize our guf and our neshama together, will we be able to really strive and, and, and thrive to greatness? We spoke about this week in Avad, the uh, Chavis Habavis, which speaks about the right balance to strike between the guf and the neshama. And, but the point is that we have a guf and we have a neshama, and both of them together form the perfect human being. And the human being that's able to do what he's supposed to in this world, enjoy this world, and yet at the same time do what the neshama feels good being engaged in. The gayim, on the other hand, have a different hashtafa altogether. They look at the human body as being, let's say, 95% flesh. We're basically physical, mortal human beings. And we have a neshama... But the neshama is, let's say, 5% of the body. But the main part of our life is really pleasing the guf. The guf is the mainstay. If you want to take care of the neshama, you can't do both. You can't be a master, a slave to two masters. You either you either have to choose the guf, which you have to, because that's really, you know, the, 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 the default is the guf. The guf is the main thing that I have. The neshama is a little part of me. If you want to take care of your neshama, you have to become a priest. And if you want to be a priest, what does that mean? It means I'm going to dwell on my neshama, and I'm going to abstain from my guf. My guf has to basically be divorced from my neshama. I can't have both. I can't have both a guf and a neshama. And that's why the priests are people, the kaimrim are people that they have to abstain from marriage. They're not allowed to have wives. They're not allowed to have children. They're not allowed to engage in certain physical activities. They have to be very perished because they believe that that's the only way. If you're going to be a slave to your neshama, fine. But you can't have a guf then. If you want a guf, you can't have a neshama. So, the Hamaynam, there's no such thing to my knowledge of Gayim, Gayish Abalabatim, that go to a base medrash a night and sit and learn, you know, in, in, you know, in, in, uh, about the church and theology and all this, like for hours on end, 
you know, it doesn't exist because to them, that's the priest thing. The priest is the one that has to do the religious stuff. We have to do the physical stuff. We have to give money to the church. We have to go once a day to confession, once a week to confession, be, you know, be mistapra and all the things that we did wrong during the week. But in terms of who we are, we're goof. You want to be neshama, fine, but you have to only be neshama. And the two cannot mix. That's the way a guy views humanity. And the Avaida that a person has in life. He brings a few great riots to this Rabbi Yaakov. He says that there's a Gemara in Psachim. But before we say that, there's another Raya. It says that Gayim are allowed to bring Karbanis to the Beis HaMikdash. But when a guy is Menadev a Karban to the Beis HaMikdash, it can only be an Ayla. It can't be anything else. If we want to be Menadev, we can be a Menadev a Shlomim. We can be Menadev a Chatas, an Asham. We have a lot of, we have a whole smorgasbord of Karbanis that we could bring. A Taida. A guy can't, a guy, the only thing that a guy could bring is an Ayla. The only type of carbon that a guy is allowed to bring to the base of Mikdash is an Ayla. Why? Why can he bring a shlamim? Why can he, you know, bring part of it to the base of Mikdash, bring part of it on the Mizbah, and let him eat part of it? The Territ says, says Rabbi Yaakov, that a guy doesn't believe in shlamim. The guy's whole hashkafa is only an Ayla. That when you bring something, when you bring an animal, the whole thing is Kulay Kalu. It's all destroyed on the base of it, on the Mizbah. It has to go Kulay Lashem. Because it's all or nothing. You can't have a human being eating meat that's half to the Rabbi Shalom and half to you. What right do you have? You're too Gufnius. You're not Shayach to Ruchnius on that level. So you have to give it all to Hashem, and that's the way a guy lives. You're either all a priest or you're all guy. But you're not both. You can't have both. You can't have a concept of a Shlomim or a Chattas that a human being partakes in a carbon. He says, a Yid does believe in that. A Yid believes that we are holy people. Now, that doesn't mean that we're holy to the, the degree that we have to abstain from Ayelam Hazah. The Chiddush of a Yid in this universe is that we're able to have the best of both worlds. We're able to have Ruchnius, and we also can have Gashmius. We're able to enjoy this world and at the same time please our neshama for the next world. The Gemara Msachim, one of the most famous kashas on Shas, is the Gemara Msachim on Afsamaches, which speaks about how there's a famous machlegas, whether on Yantiv it should be Kul Hashem or Kul Lachem, or Chatzil Hashem or Chatzil Lachem. And then the Gemara says, Ba'atzeres Kul Elma Maidu, Kul Elma Maidu Ba'atzeres, Diva'ina Nami Lachem. On Shavuos, everybody agrees that you need to have also a little bit of gashmius. You need to eat a little bit. You need to enjoy it. You can't fast the whole, whole day Shavuos. Now, that's a very bizarre thing. And then the Gemara says, My timer, Yom Shnitna by Terah Yisrael. It's a day that the Terah was given to Kla Yisrael. So everybody asked the question, what are you talking about? If it's a day that the Terah was given to Kla Yisrael, that should be the one day that's Kul Hashem. I mean, there's nothing more holy than the Tyra, so that should be the day that you're spending the whole day in the base Medrash, and you're spending the whole day just shtiping away. But instead, that's the one day of the year that everybody is made, whatever you want to say on Pesach, on, on, on Sukkis, on Simchas Tyra, but the one day, the, the one Yantav that you have to eat is Shavuos, because the Tyra was given, Zakir Yaakov, yes. 
because the Chiddush of the Torah, when the Torah came down to the world, the blockbuster Chiddush of the Torah was that a Yid is able to eat and enjoy this life and at the same time please HaKadosh Baruch at the same time. HaKadosh Baruch doesn't want us to be miserable people. HaKadosh Baruch doesn't want us to feel deprived about every little thing and say, wow, the Goyim have it, they have their Elam Haza, we have Elam Haba, but all right, we'll take the bullet for the Torah. HaKadosh Baruch says in the Torah, I want you to have Piri Baribya. I want you to have a wife, I want you to have children. The greatest Gedalim in Kal Yisrael were the people that were normal. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky had a wife, he had children, Rabbi Yisrael Feinstein, the stifler of Chaim Kamenetsky, these are people you think, oh, these are Prushim. These are people that probably had nothing to do with a wife, nothing to do with anything. They were normal people. They lived normally, they ate normally. That's what the Torah wants from us. The Torah wants us to enjoy this world. It's possible to please our guf and our neshama, and if we find that right balance, we could do both, and we could enjoy Ailam Haza and Ailam Haba. And that's what the Torah wants. That's what, but a guy can't understand this. The guy looks at the, at, the, at the world as being, you're either all guy, meaning you're all gashmi, or you're all roughly. You can't combine the two. It's impossible to combine the two. There's a story that happened with the Vilna Gaim. In Vilna, there was a dibuk that possessed a girl's body. And, you know, you never, whenever you have a dibuk inside a girl's body, before you get her out, you want to try to, you know, first interrogate the dibuk a little bit and find out what's going on. In, uh, in Shamayim, they did this with the, in, in Rabin, there was also a dibuk, and they asked, you know, Rabbi Hanan was there, I think the Panamich Rav was there, a lot of the Talmideh of the Chavetz Chaim were there, and before they were able to, before they released the dibuk, they asked a lot of questions, a fascinating, uh, story, um, if you, if you want to see it, I, I could show you a source for a very, a first-hand account, Rabbi Hanan said over exactly what the dibuk said, like they asked, the Dibbuk, what they think of the Chavetz Chaim and Shamayim, and they said the Chavetz Chaim is Kitano. He's like a Tana. He has the status of a Tana in Shamayim. Anyway, in, 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 in Vilna, this happened during the time of the Groh. And they couldn't get this Dibbuk out of the body of this girl. And so they asked the Dibbuk, let's say the Vilna Gaim, the Groh Mi Vilna, who lives down the block, if we could get him to come and chase you away, would you? He says, of course I would. I'd go in a second. He says, the whole world is scared of the Vilna Gain. The Vilna Gain makes everybody tremble in Shemayim. To which they asked, the Vilna Gain was, is not a person who engages in just Ruchnius. Meaning there was, there, there were always streams of Yidin that were engaged in asceticism, which means that they basically were Pirish from Ayla Maza and Gansan. They were, they ate a bare minimum and they, you know, and all they did was sit and learn Yemalai without engaging in any Ayla Maza. But the Gra was not like that. The Gra, obviously the Gra was famous for his Asmad. He used to learn and learn and learn, you know, forever without staff. But at the same time, he would eat regular meat. And he would, you know, have a little salad on the side, and he'd have a, you know, a, a drink with it, and he would, he would be very nice. He had a nice, he, he, he ate and, and drank quite well. He wasn't one of these people that were Irish that was, you know, that were eating, you know, little peas and carrots every day. He was eating well. And they asked the Dibuk, 
Why are you so scared of the Gra? I mean, the Gra is a person who eats regularly. In Shemaim, you know, you malachim, you know, you don't eat anything, whatever. He eats, he's not a malach, he's eating regularly. So the Dibuk is reported to have said, that's exactly what we're scared of about him. You see, when he eats his steak, that's like him eating basar kachin. He's able to take that steak and be mala it, bring it up to such a high level of kedusha. He takes the gashmias and he he converts it into kedusha inside of him, and that's frightful for us. That's the way it is. When a person's able to have the right kavanas in life, you can enjoy. It. No one says that you you know you can't eat well and you can't sleep well and you can't live well. You can live very nicely. And you can eat very nicely, and you can enjoy life to the degree that it fits into the, you know, the parameters of halacha, and that's still plenty of room to enjoy Elam Hazan in a, in, a, in a regular, good, clean, honest way. But there's nothing wrong with having Elam Hazan as long as you have the right kavanas. And when you have the right kavanas, you're, you're able to make things into kachim. That shlamim, it's not a chiddish toss that we have a shlamim. The shlamim, the part of the shlamim that goes on the mizbeach, and the part of the Shlom that goes into our stomach is really both holy. Because a Jew is a holy being that's able to synthesize Gashmias with Ruchnias. And the trick in life is to try to strike that perfect balance that you're not overdoing the Gashmias side and that you're doing what the Guf needs to get through life in a comfortable way and being able to cater to the Ruchnias to the Neshama. In another place in the Amos Liyakiv, Rabbi Yaakov says on the Pasuk in the end of Parashas Baya about Bechal, Bechara Banai Efta, there's a mitzvah to be paida, a firstborn that is a, comes from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. It's one of the many mitzvahs that are Zechel Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. That if a person, and it's a very rare mitzvah, it's, I, I don't know how many Pijna Bens you know, you've been to in your life, but I would, I would bet that it's not more than ten, and probably not more than five. Very rare to find a pigeon aben because you have to have a lot of criteria in order to be paid to your son. You have to, you know, neither grandfather could be a kain or a lady. Um, you have to, it has to be a, a firstborn. It has to be a, a natural birth. It can't be a C-section. And uh, there's a lot of other other criteria that basically makes the percentages of, of eligible pigeon and has to be a firstborn boy. A lot of eligible percentage, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, it, it basically cuts it down to maybe a mashu of a mashu of the babies born would ever have a pigeon aben. So it's a very rare thing, but there's a mitzvah in the Torah that when you have, if you're, a, if you're a Yisrael and you have a Bukhar and he, and the Bukhar qualifies as being a, a peterechem, you have to go to a Kayin on the 30th day, after 30 days, on the 31st day actually, and you have to go and be paid to your son from the Kayin. And there's a very interesting, um, you know, dialogue that ensues between the Kayin and, and the, uh, and the father that basically the father is asked by the Kayin, um, do you want, what do you want? What do you want more? Do you want to, you want your son? Or do you want to give um, and for that you'd have to be pay them with a kayin or do you want to give the give your son leave him with a kayin and you have to say of course well I have to you know I want to be paid to my son here's the money and, 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 so it's a very bizarre thing because it's not like the kayin let's say a father would say you know what 
I'd rather not be paidem. You take him. That doesn't happen. There's no like convent for Bukhairim that you know you put your, your firstborn son in a monastery and you know let, let, let the, the priest raise him. What does that mean? Uh, I, you know, uh, you have a choice. So there's a lot of mafarshim about this very issue. But the Sepharno says something very chidishtik, and it's, you know, it's, he says like this, that the reason why you have to be paid to your son is in order that your son is mutter ba'avaydas chayel, it's a very big chidish. I mean, let's say you weren't paid, that means that your son can't be a doctor or a lawyer. The Sepharno seems to say that your son cannot be a doctor or a lawyer if you are not paid him. The only way that you should, that you're able to engage in any Abayda's Chayel, if he wants to play football, if he wants to play basketball, if he wants to play hockey, if he wants to go for architecture, if he wants to go open up a shop, unless you are paid to your son, says the Sepharno, you're not able to do that. By being paid to your son, you're enabling him to be Isaac and Abayda's Chayel. So Rabbi Yaakov asks, a very major question. He says, so why is the occasion, if you've ever been to Abijan Aben, you know, it's a joyous occasion. People are eating and they're drinking and they're celebrating and there's a whole, you know, they give out like things of garlic and, you know, and, and candies and sugar and whatever the reason for all these various benagim are. Everybody's happy. Frektiv Yaakov, it should be a ton of abelos. You're taking a boy that could have been a holy priestly type of kid, and he could have been, you know, staying in Lakewood his whole life. He could have been able to be, you know, earmarked for, for Kedusha. And instead, you're being paid to that Kedusha from him. You're extracting that Kedusha. You're being paid to him. Now he goes to the power, to the force of the Chayel. He was in the column of Kaidish, now he's Chayel. And now he's able to engage in Abayda's Chayel, and everybody's celebrating. I mean, I think it's the wrong religion, says Rabbi Yaakov. What are you celebrating? This is a tragedy. People should be tearing Kriya. But Rabbi Yaakov says no. This is the Abayda of Yid. The Abayda of Yid is that you're supposed to be engaging in Abayda's Chayel. You're supposed to be a human being. You're a flesh and blood human being. And the trick to life is taking your flesh and blood, being able to engage in this world, being able to play basketball, being able to go get a job, and at the same time figure out a way to please not only the guf, but also the neshama. And that's the simcha of a vision of Ben, you're being paid to the child because it's not, we're not supposed to, we don't believe that there's such a thing as a priest, that you basically put him away in a convent and let him grow up holy. We believe that you're supposed to take that boy back home, let him be raised as a regular human being, a regular mortal, and be mechanichim, that he should use his mortality in a holy way, and channel it in the right path, and be able to be a normal, functional human being that has the right mix of gashmias and the right mix of ruchmias, and that is what a yid is supposed to be. And that's the simcha, he says, of a pigeon aben. I want to just be myself on this barter of Yaakov, if I may, that I think that this explains a lot in terms of the previous parshias when we find that Esav sold the Bechaira to Yaakov for a Nezid Adashim, for a bowl of lentils. So why? He was, okay, you know, you're hungry, you're in the mood for children once in a while, but for that you want to give up your, your, your Bechaira, your right to the firstborn. And I think the Pshad is that 
Esav understood that what a Bukhar is, is that he was looking at the Bukhar before the Pijanaben aspect of it. He was looking at a Bukhar is somebody that's a priest. Basically, if nobody's paid to me, I'm going to go to the convent and I'm going to be, I'm going to have to only do like holy stuff all day. I'm not going to be able to be married. I'm not going to be able to have kids. I'm not going to be able to do normal stuff. And I want to do normal stuff. I'm Asav. I'm an Isha Deatside. I'm a man of the field. I enjoy this world. I, it's a challenge for me. It stimulates me to be able to engage in this world. A Bukhar is somebody that's cool like Kaddish. I don't want to be a priest. And that's why he sold it. Because he didn't understand what exactly it means to be a real Bukhar. A real Bukhar is not somebody who is supposed to be there. A real Bukhar is somebody that's able to be what Yaakov ended up being. Yaakov got the Bukhara and he was able to be Yaakov Avinu with a holy, the holiest person in human history and at the same time have, have wives, have children, have mishpacha, have, have, have cattle, have, have wealth, everything. You could have it all and still be a Bukhar, but Esau didn't understand that. Esau thought the Bukhar is something that you have to completely dedicate your entire life to, to Kedusha and Tara without any materialism, and I can't live like that. The Pasuk says, when he sold it, Vayechal, Vayesht, Vayokam, Vayelach, Vayibaz Esav as a Bukhara. Esav ate and he drank that Nizid Adashim. He got up and he left and he was Mavaz of the Bukhara. What's missing in the Pasuk? What didn't Esav do? He forgot to bench. That's how it died, right? Sometimes we do that also, right? Sometimes, you know, we eat a whole meal or we eat a snack or whatever, and then we get up, and we just, you know, and then all of a sudden, did I bench, you know, you start scratching your head, that's Esau. Esau is able to get up, and leave a meal without, sometimes, you know, you see Gayim, and they, you know, I don't know, wherever you, you, maybe in the mall, you go and you see, you know, a guy, and he just like, has a slice of pizza, and he just sticks it in his mouth, like it's a power. You just stick some food in your meat, you don't say a bracha, they don't know to say a bracha, but like, to a Jew, that's like something that's so weird. How do you not make a bracha when you put it in your mouth? Or how is it possible that we could get up without remembering to bench? But Esau didn't bench. You know why he didn't bench? Because he felt that when you eat, you eat. When you eat, there's no holiness in eating. We don't believe that there's any, you can invest holiness in gashmi. That's the most gashmi thing to do, to eat. You have a slice of pizza, let's keep it real. This is pizza. It's not holiness. And that itself was the vayiv ezeza that's what he misunderstood. He didn't understand that you could eat a geshmaka meal and you can enjoy it. And when you bench, you actually are able to make that slice of pizza into a holy item. When you have a steak, you can enjoy the steak. You, 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 you make a shako before and you make a barinafashas after. That is basar kachim. That's what we believe. If you have the right kavanas and you harness the right kavanas when you're engaging in gashmias, then that is not long, it's no longer a sama act of a mundane act like we do it, the guy do it. It's a purely holy act. But we have done it, we have been mekadish it through our kavanas and through our mitzvahs. We're able to take gashmias and make it ruchniistic. There's actually a kuzari which says, it's in Paragimel, Aisyod Gimel, that when a person makes a bracha 
When a person makes a bracha on food, it actually makes the geschmack in the food much better. You actually enjoy the food more when you make a bracha on it. That's something that a guy can't have. A guy can have a slice of pizza, but he can never have a slice of pizza. He can have anchovies even on his pizza and pepperoni on his pizza. But he can never have a bracha on his pizza. And because he can never have a bracha on his pizza, his pizza is never going to be as good as our pizza. That's what the Guzari says. He says when a yid is able to inject ruchnius into his pizza then the pizza is like mamish Eilam Haba. He says a mushal, let's say there's a person who is um, a shikr. And a shikr, bizman shikrusai, you know, he's given like, let's say, you know, he's invited to a party. And, and, and he's completely shikr. So they were served, and he ate the steak, and he ate the filet mignon, and he ate, ate the delicious, you know, Viennese table or whatever. But he was so drunk, that he wasn't able to really appreciate anything. And afterwards, he like, you know, he has to have people tell him, like, hey, what did I have last night? Well, you don't remember? No, I was like in a drunken stupor. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hop a thing. Oh, well, it was delicious. You missed the whole meal. It was, oh, the wine was like this fancy wine and the, and the, you know, and, and, and the meat was out of this world and the, you know, the, the, the Viennese table was like beyond compare. How could you have missed it? He said, well, I was drunk. And, when you're drunk, you don't appreciate the finer details of, of the meal. And the Kuzari says that that's exactly what it's like when it comes to Rufnis. A yid is able to take even a delicious meal. We could go to fancy restaurants. If they're kosher restaurants, you can go to a fancy restaurant. There's nothing wrong with it. You can go to a fancy chasana and enjoy it. But you have to be sober when you do. What does that mean, sober? It means you have to understand what you're doing. You have to understand that I'm engaging in this not because I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a Baltaiva. I'm engaging in this as Sudas Mitzvah. It's something that I have to do to learn better. I want to be able to, you know, I want to be able to, uh, you know, have a meal, a Shabbos meal with my Mishpacha. And it's a Mitzvah to eat on Shabbos. And it's a Mitzvah to enjoy your family on Shabbos and spend quality time with your family and your friends and your, that's something that you have to be awake for. You have to be sober to. And we're sober. But he says a guy, they're not sober, not necessarily in a, in a, in a shikra sense, but in a, they miss the whole point. They think that they have gashmis, but they don't have gashmis because they don't enjoy it. They're drunk. They're not able to appreciate what the gashmis is doing for them. We can enjoy gashmis because when we are eating and engaging in gashmis, what it's doing is it's uplifting our neshama. It's giving our neshama chiyas. We need our body in order to carry our soul. And our soul is really what gives us satisfaction in life. So when we eat a good meal and it has an impact on a neshama, the meal is delicious. But a guy that doesn't take notice to his soul and all he's doing is eating for the sake of eating, that's chaval. I once heard from a, from a rav, from a local rav, a great bart. There's a gemara that says, Hani bablai tipshai, ta'achli nahama binahama. Says those foolish Babylonians, they eat bread with bread. Actually, that means, you know, they have like a, you know, they take a, they have like a rice sandwich. You know, they take a, a loaf of bread and they put on their bread, they eat other types of starches where it's like our meal plan. You know, you have, you know, it's all pure starches. You have a slice of pizza and then there's macaroni and then there's, you know, all, you know, all starches with starches. So, so he says like this. So there was a rebbe that once went to somebody and said, he was, this person was eating. He says, why are you eating? 
So I'm eating to get strength. He says, oh, why are you getting strength? He says, well, I have to, I have to work. He says, why do you have to work? He says, to make a, to make a parnasa. He says, why are you making a parnasa? He says, to, in, order to, in order to have money. Well, why do you need money? It's in order to buy food. He says, ah, you're eating to eat. You're eating bread in order to get more bread. That's ridiculous. You have to eat in order because right now you're eating to be mala your neshama. That's why you're eating. You're not eating to get strength so you can get more bread. When we eat, we have to eat in order to serve our neshama, to serve our better. To harness the gashmias in a ruchniistic sense, that doesn't deprive us from gashmias. That makes the gashmias more gashmak. A guy is never able to have a Shabbos meal. As rich as he is, and as good a you know as good a cook and a chef he might have, he's never able to have a Shabbos meal. There's a Gemara in Shabbos that says this: that you know there was a certain person that wanted uh, you know he he's like he ate he tried some cholent. He says, well you know what's the spice that you put in this thing? He says we have a table and after the Shabbos tomorrow. It's called Shabbos. You can't replace that. The kedusha Shabbos goes into the food. That's what makes it delicious. You know, cholent that you have, a leftover cholent might taste good. It's not Shabbos stick if it's leftovers. It's, it's good. You know, we have Thursday night cholent, we have Sunday cholent, we have, right? There's a lot of cholent during the week here. But Shabbos is Shabbos, it's special. Because there's a, there, the Kedusha, the Kedusha Shabbos goes into every single morsel of food that we eat, and that makes it delicious. And that's something that a guy can't have. A guy has delicious food also. But for him, he's in a state of shikras. He's so busy, Nahama ben that he doesn't actually understand why the food is so important. We understand, hopefully, that food is important because it's a mitzvah, because it's giving us energy. For what? To serve HaKadosh Baruch better. If we're able to mechavin when we eat, and when we engage in any gashmistika activity, that it's Laman Hashem, then we've uplifted it, we've made it special, we've made it holy, and that's something that is only a Jewish, we have the patent on that. A guy cannot understand that, they don't believe in it, they don't want it. They think that it has to be one or the other. And that's why Esau looks at Yaakov with his beautiful mishpach and says, me, Eilach, I don't get it. How'd you, how'd you pull this off? I didn't know that you could do this. I thought that the Bechayr meant that I had to be some sort of guy in a, in a, in a convent the rest of my life, in a, a cave in the Himalayas, you know, uh, chanting some, you know, some, some niggin my whole life. I didn't know that I was able to have a wife and a family and a full, the whole nine yards and be holy. And that's what Klai Yisrael is. Klai Yisrael are people that are able to take Gashmias and take Ruchmias and have both. We're very, we, we, we're able to multitask. We're able to have Gashmias and Ruchmias. So we learned this week says, a great mushroom, he says that, you know, there's two wives. In the Torah sometimes, you know, when you have two wives, it's called a tsara. Because they're Nasus Sara Zulazu. In the olden days, you can imagine, you know, they, they had, um, you know, polygamy. They were able to be married to two wives. Uh, I'm never able to get past the fact that they were able to have two mother-in-laws. But, you know, but, but you're able to have two wives. And imagine how, how difficult a juggling act that is, he says. This is a Chavis Al-Avis story. Not, not that stupid joke, but, but the Chavis Al-Avis is, um, thing. He says like this, he says, can you imagine how difficult it is to have two wives? You come home, you know, you take Sprincy out, you know, uh, to a restaurant, you come home, and, and, and from me, you're sitting on the couch, she's upset. What's wrong from me? Well, you never take me out, you always take Sprincy out. 
So next time you take Sprint, you take from me out. Then Sprint's is upset. You can never please both of them. You know, you don't want to take both of them out. It's too expensive. So, you know, you have to do one at a time. It's, it's just, you can't please both. And the Chavis Havos says, that's, that's what it's like. He says, we all have two wives. We have Ailam Haba, we have Ailam Haz, we have a group, we have a Neshama. And it's very, very hard to please both. And it's a challenge of our life. This is a struggle that we engage in every single day. You know, we want to enjoy Ailam Haza. Who doesn't want to enjoy Ailam Haza? Whoever doesn't want to enjoy Ailam Haza is either, you know, a, a malach or he's a liar. Because everybody wants to enjoy Ailam Haza. But, you know, I'm the, I'm the, but we want Ailam Haza and we want Ailam Haba, which, you know, it could work, but you have to be very careful because, you know, generally speaking, what makes the Neshama happy makes the Guf miserable. What makes the Guf happy makes the Neshama miserable. But, if you're able to somehow fine-tune the Guf and the Neshama perfectly and calibrate it just right, and that's not an easy trick, but if you're able to get it just right, and that's what a tzaddik's able to do, a tzaddik knows just how much, you know, of gashmis he needs, how much ruchmias he needs, and he's happy. If you have much, if you have too much gashmias, you're going to be miserable. If you have too much ruchmias and to, at the cost of your personal well-being, your physical health, you're also not going to be good. You have to find enough gashmias that makes you happy, and you have to channel that gashmias in order to make your ruchmias happy, and you could do both. And that's, but that's the job of a yid, that's the challenge of a yid, that is the ultimate goal of a yid. And we could do it. But it's important for us to know that as a yid, we're not deprived. If we go through life feeling we're always deprived, and boy, if I could be that rock star, and I could be that movie star, and I could be that, you know, that, that billionaire, and I could be that, you know, then I'd be happy. But I'm stuck here in yeshiva and I'm not doing what I really want to do it. You should just know that we are in an enviable, enviable situation. The Goyim look at us and they envy us. I, I had a Talmud here who was a, uh, he was a ger. He's going back several years. He was a ger. And then a suffolk arose in his gerus. Suffolk arose in his gerus. Uh, whatever, something, a long story. But, you know, so he was sending me out. He was like desperate. He just found out about it. He wanted to know what he could do, how he could expedite the gear. So, I, you know, me being my, myself, I was like, you know, I was trying to, you know, make light of the situation a little bit. And I said, you know what? Let's just chill here. Let's just like, you know, let, let's examine. Let's explore the avenue. Before you jump back into being a yid, you know, let's, maybe you want to, you know, I was joking. But he got very upset with me. He says, what are you talking about? He says, I don't want to be a guy. Not even for a minute do I want to be a guy. He says, I, I, that's the last thing I want to do. I tried that. I don't want that. I want to be a yid. I don't want to have the option anymore of being a guy. See, but we think that, you know, we're the ones that are, are, are deprived. But the Goyim look at us like, you know, like, wow, you're able to have it all. You're able to have nice houses and nice cars and nice wives and nice children and nice, you know, uh, ruchmias and gashmias. And like, How? Because they don't understand it, but they want it. They just don't get it. But we're so obsessed with, like, you know, this guy and that guy, and, you know, if you look into these guy and these celebrities, that everybody's like, you know, they're not, it's not as geschmack as it, as it seems. The Ladover, you know, most of them, if not all of them, end up either, you know, drug addicts or divorced or, you know, or suicidal or, you know, etc., etc. They're not really happy. 
they're not getting satisfaction because they're pleasing one wife at the cost of the other wife, and and they're not happy. If you're you're all into gashmias, you're not pleasing your neshama at all. You're miserable because that's not your calling, and everybody understands that deep down inside. A few years back, my son, his rabbi, was making a chasna. So the rabbi invited invited uh, the shir to come to the chasna. So I, I was like one of the people doing carpool, and I took a bunch of boys to the chasna. I think it was in Williamsburg. And it was a very, like, very bare-bones chasna. It was like, you know, one of these chasnas that, like, everything together cost maybe like $5,000. They didn't have any real food. It was just... You know, it was basically potato kugels and, you know, one-man band. And, you know, it was very nice, but it was very, very basic. Like, the smorg was marble cake, and the meal was, was potato kugel. That was it. And But it was a beautiful... They're just as married as people that get married in the Waldorf Astoria. And they're probably more married. But there was a beautiful little, like, piece of paper on every table. There wasn't much food on the table, so this made an impression on them. You know, when you have tons of food and drinks and whatever and Diet Coke and regular Coke you know then everything gets you know nobody notices the flowers or the centerpiece or whatever but here there was nothing else on the table there was like this little card you know that was bent over and it said something I always wish I had stolen it from the chasm I mean, it was something I think it was from a gemach but it made such a reishim on me it said like this with no Lashon Hara on your tongue the food tastes better and with no Lashon Hara on your ears the music sounds sweeter. Enjoy. That's a that's a hergish of a yid. That you're able to understand that if you don't speak lashonara, people know I'm going to enjoy the night. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to speak lashonara. We're going to have a meal. We're going to enjoy. Go out. When you don't speak lashonara, then the food is sweeter in your mouth. You can appreciate when you have ruchnius. The ruchnius is able to uplift the food. Every drop of food that you're eating is sweeter on your tongue. And when you don't hear Lashon Hara through your ears, and the music is sweeter. It's just a matter of being able to understand this. To understand how holy our guf could be if we let the neshama be in the driver's seat a little bit. The guf is not trait. The guf is also holy. It's just who's in control. Which wife is, is louder? Which wife is more in power? Is it the wife of the guf or the wife of the neshama? Let the wife of the neshama be the main one. Let her be the akara sabayis. If she's the akara sabayis, the house is going to be amazing. But if you let the other wife reign, if you let the 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 gashmi sticker wife reign, then the ruchnis is going to suffocate. The neshama is going to be like gasping for air. It's going to you know it can't breathe in the in the atmosphere of kula gashmi, and then life is going to be not so good. Rabbi Aaron Cutler used to say, you know, he used to tell Balabatim that when you have a, um, you know, if you give money to yeshiva like Lakewood, so then, you know, you're supporting Tyra, then you have the ability to go to Shamayim, you're going to get Elam Haba. Not only are you going to get Elam Haba, but you're also going to be able to be to talk and learning as if you, you know, you're the Zvola and you support Yisafi, you get the Taira in Elam Haba of the Yisafar. So if you support, let's say, Lakewood and you have, you know, thousands of Bnei Taira Chashubim that are sitting and learning and, you know, with, uh, with the way it should be, so you're going to go up to Shema, you're going to also be a Tamachacham Chashub. You get Elam Haba. That's what Aaron Kali used to promise. And one time, 
one of the Balabatim that was, you know, in his inner circle, Ravarin like was giving him muster that you gotta, you know, you should make more of a more of a kvias in learning, you should have a chabrusa, you should go to a shir more often. So this Balabas looks at Ravarin and says, I don't get it. He says, You know that I give a ton of money to Lakewood and to other Yeshivas. You promised me Ailam Haba. So why do I have to, you know, I'm busy at work. Why do I have to go, why do I have to go to the base medrash? So Ravarin says, I'm not talking about getting Ailam Haba. Ailam Haba you have. I'm worried about your Ailam Haza. He says, If you're not going to the base medrash, what do you have? Well, just because you have a fancy mansion, you have a fancy car with a driver, and you have you have a, a lot of food in your refrigerator, that makes you have oil maza? That's not oil maza, that's feh. It's disgusting. Only if you're able to have a seder and learning, and you're able to feel good about yourself, and your neshama feels good, then the mansion is beautiful, and then the food is delicious, and then the car is fatty. But if you're, if you're, if all you're doing is gashmias, 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 and then it's, 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 it's you don't have oil maza. This is a maturity. It's like you have to understand this. I don't know if any of us, myself included, really, really get this. But this is the truth. The truth is that we could have Ailam Hazad better than any guy. Rebarach Ber, and we'll conclude with this, Rebarach Ber used to say that when I make a bracha of Shalei Asani Gai every morning, he says, a lot of people, they think about like the, you know, like a shikr, like a bum, like a, you know, a homeless guy, uh, you know, some, some low life, you know, person that's not, you know, and he says, I don't think of that guy when I say Shalai Asani guy. When I think, when I make a brother Shalai Asani guy, I take the most geschmacker guy, you know, the person who has like all of Ayla Mahazah, and he has, you know, a great, you know, he has wealth, and he has, he has popularity, and he's uh, very powerful, and he's very attractive, and he's very, he has everything. That guy, whoever it is, whoever the, you know, the guy du jour is that, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, there was one guy that, like, everybody was Makano. Uh, he was JFK Jr. He was a guy who's Jay, the president's son. He had everything. He had power. He was great looking, and he had Alan Milas. He had everything that he could have. You know, and then he died in a plane crash. And when that happened, it was like, it was like such an eye-opener. I remember a lot of people were like saying, Musser, like, you know, you see Mamish how it's all nothing. A guy like that has everything. He could have been president. By now he would have for sure been president. And he, he died in a, in, a, in a, he was driving a plane and whatever, and it didn't, something happened. It was a, it was like, it was a bombshell. When that happened, it was like, wow, he could die? Like there's really, you know, the, no one thought he could die. He thought like he was like immortal. He was like the guy like that everybody, you know, wanted to be. And that's who you think of when you say Shalei Asani guy. Don't be Makana anybody. You take the best guy with all the milas that you think that you would love were you not from, and then you make a Shalei Asani guy. Because being a Yid in any which way beats that. Because we have the secrets that Esav didn't understand. Esav, Esav asked me, Ela Lach, how do you, what, what's going on? How do you do this? Gayim really are flabbergasted over the fact that we're able to juggle both so successfully, hopefully. But Yaakov Avinu understands how This is what HaKadosh Baruch wants. He made it a mitzvah. So it's even better. Because whatever we do, whatever we engage in, if we have Kabbanus Hashem Shamayim, we're able to get schar for it. And the, the hana that we get from it is actually head and shoulders above anything that we would experience were we to divorce the ruchniistika element from the activity. We should take this to heart. We should believe this. And this Hashem, we should have a wonderful Shabbos, Kaidah.